This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Raise Your Game. I'm Christine Wong. Today on the line with me is Anwar Jumabhoy, business coach and co-author of the book Nine Entrepreneurisms. So we'll be going through each entrepreneurism and how they can be applied and learned throughout one's career. My name is Anwar Jumabhoy. Mm-hmm. And over the years, I've just done lots and lots of things, including being an entrepreneur for a while and a venture capitalist. So I have a mixed bag of experiences. Right. Fantastic. And that obviously leads to uh, that experience being funneled into the book. So the book is called The Nine Entrepreneurisms, uh, and we'll be focusing on sort of going through them today. So before we do that, though, how did you come up with these nine entrepreneurisms? So what do entrepreneurs do that's different? And particularly, what do the successful entrepreneurs do? We, in fact, interviewed uh, about 100 people around the world entrepreneurs, academics, and uh, senior executives. And what we arrived at was, you know, a whole bunch of what we call attributes. It may be a habit for them, but it is an attribute. And what we're saying really is that these are learnable. It's these nine entrepreneurisms that really drive the success of entrepreneurs. Mm, right. And speaking of the word entrepreneurisms, why did you just decide to go with that instead of just saying, you know, uh, entrepreneurial qualities or, or something like that? It's a good question. I mean, the word entrepreneurship has more or less been hijacked by the startup community. What we wanted to do was when you hear the word, you don't necessarily think startup. Yes, absolutely. Now, let's start with that first uh, entrepreneurism, uh, which is self-efficacy, right? So tell me a little bit about that. To make it sort of easier, we sort of developed the entrepreneurisms in in buckets of three. So the first three were, you know, self-efficacy, risk-taking, and passion. And self-efficacy is really about knowing what you are able to do. It's different to self-confidence, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have a lot of self-confidence, then you go for a singing competition or you go for a dancing competition and you think you've done a great job. I mean, American Idol is full of people with lots of self-confidence confidence, but they don't necessarily have self-efficacy, right? So we encourage, and in in the work that I do with companies and with with people that I coach, we encourage them to really understand their competencies. Because if you understand your competencies and you build on your competencies, that's what self-efficacy is about. And, And that's why even the people that I work with, I tell them, And if they have kids, I tell them, let them experiment with lots of things. Mm. Because it's this experimentation, familiarization, that you start to build experience and you build competence. And I suppose that's where the next step comes in as well, which is risk-taking. Exactly. And, you know, risk-taking is an interesting one. So, um, you know, we all think entrepreneurs take risks. But in the interviews that I've done, not one single entrepreneur said he had bet the bank. So entrepreneurs take risks because you don't have their competencies and therefore you think what they're doing is risky. We don't stop to think, am I talking from the shoes of that competency? Mm. Or am I just saying, hey, hey, that's risky. I mean, I think if you cross the road blindfolded, that's risky. Right. Right. But we all look left and right before we cross, right? Mm -hmm. As I tell uh, entrepreneurs and I tell companies, Take small bets. 
try a few things, experiment with different systems, with software, with different approaches. And don't expect every risk to give you a return. But if you don't try, you don't learn, right? And it's right. like it's like babies taking baby steps, right? Mm-hmm. When a child starts to walk, we don't say, oh my gosh, that's really risky. They're going to fall. So let's not let them fall, right? right? We tend to overrate risk. And as we see, I mean, if you look at the stock market, you look at what's happening around you, even the most risk-averse people get caught. So risk is something that changes all the time. And you minimize risk by having you know, a high level of self-efficacy. Mm, I see. So we've got the self-efficacy, we've got risk-taking. So what about the, the third in this little passion. trio, passion? Yes. Yeah. Passion is the one that's most closely associated with entrepreneurs, right? Mm-hmm. And passion is important, right? So passion is what drives you. And you can see that, and, and it's very clear with NGOs, right? So if I work with, work with NGOs, they're very clear, very passionate. And, you know, in, in Simon Sinek's words, they know the why. Hmm. why they're doing it. For some companies, it's a little difficult. And for some middle-of-the-road companies that I work with, we spend a lot of time developing the why and the passion, right? Hmm. So in in the fast food food business, or I was in the budget hotel business, we hire people who are passionate about saving the environment. And we are able to teach our people that working in a budget hotel is a good thing. Right. We use we use less of the environment, we we conserve more, you don't pay for what you don't use, etc. So passion is an interesting thing, right? Companies need to find the passion for them. Mm. Entrepreneurs find it naturally, and that's what gives them the drive to keep going forward, gives them the tenacity to keep going forward because they're passionate about either solving a problem or overcoming a, you know a hurdle. And, and, you know, it, what's interesting, Christine, is if when I talk to successful entrepreneurs and I ask them one simple question, so were you passionate about this business before or after you became successful? Right. You know, it's an interesting balance, right? So many of them are passionate about winning, passionate about achieving success. So that's also a passion, right? Mm. So Serena Williams, you know, when she played tennis in Australia, I remember and I, I talk about this in the book, she said she hates tennis. She hates the work. She hates the exercise. She hates all the effort that goes into it. But when you see her play and win, it's hard to believe she hates it, right? Right. But when you see her, then you realize that what she wants is to win. Mm-hmm. Look at Ronaldo. Look at Messi. You know, look at what they... So they are passionate about winning. Mm-hmm. And that's also an important passion, right? Right, absolutely. And, you know, you, you mentioned that you sort of break down the the nine into little groups of three. So I mean, let's take a look at the next one as well, which is innovation. So tell me a little bit about that. Every, every entrepreneur has met success or achieved success through innovation. Right? Mm-hmm. Behind every success is innovation. You know, whether you talk about innovation in terms of products or you talk about innovation in terms of uh, service models, you know, so the grabs, the Ubers, etc. You know, these were innovations of service models. Right. Tony Tony Fernandez, when he built uh, AirAsia, was innovation not just in the budget hotel business and the budget airline business, but he was also innovative in the way he broke down the fare. Right. Mm. So the fare had different components, 
and you only paid for what you wanted. Now, 20 years later, the insurance business is trying to do the same thing. Right. Right. So you break down the components of insurance and buy the ones, the pieces that you want. So innovation, I think, is not just in products, it's in services. Mm. And also, it's in the way that you organize your organization, your work rules. One of the best measures of innovation is in your organization to measure how quickly a suggestion gets implemented. If your organization is open to innovation, they will be open to changes, right? So when, when, when I was in, in, in Tune Hotel and we found that, you know, managers were struggling with uh, back office chores and, you know, filing of reports and accounts. And when, when their real, real job is to go out there, work the team, meet the guests, build on the guest relationship. And instead, they get stuck in the back office, right? Mm -hmm. And so the innovation was simply take away all that stuff. Right. So you take away all the things that are not directly generating revenue and have come about through years of, you know, let's do it this way and they, they don't change. So innovation is, is, is you know, I, I encourage the people that I work with to think about the innovation not just as new products on or new services, but innovate the way you work. I mean, look at the big innovation we have now. Mm-hmm. Everybody's working from home. You know, two years ago, if you ask people to work from home, they say, oh, it's not possible. I don't know what my people will do. I need to watch them from nine to five. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I don't know if they're working. Mm-hmm. If I can't see them, I don't know if they're working. Yeah, absolutely. So we innovated the way things work. So innovation, I think we are all innovative. Mm-hmm. If we're not innovative, we won't develop. Right. Absolutely. I mean, there's that uh, saying that the worst thing that you can hear is we've always done it this way, right? Correct. Mm. Right. So we covered self-efficacy, risk-taking, passion and innovation. Now, the next one after that is opportunism. So uh, give us some details. Yeah, I mean, opportunism is, is, simple, is simply that, right? You see an opportunity and grab it. And entrepreneurs do that very well. And the reason why they do that is because they know that if there's no money coming in the door, nobody's going to bail them out. Right. And so entrepreneurs become experts, have their antenna out, and take the opportunities as they come about, right? Mm -hmm. So whether it's an opportunity to to win some business, whether it's an opportunity to disrupt an existing business, you know, we have a local champion that's selling cars, carsome without having physical inspections, right? Mm. Now, who would have thought that would be possible, right? So... They've done innovation. I mean, we have another company that you, you know, download their app and you can fill up petrol from your, without getting out of the car. Mm. I mean, so you, entrepreneurs become good at looking for opportunities because they know they are responsible for the revenue of the company. Right. And if you can get your managers to think that way and to think about how will I make money for this company? Because if I can help this company make money, then I'm secure, right? right? I'm relevant and I'm secure. And so people need to start being opportunistic and customer-facing. Mm. And so I think then uh, we can move on to the next entrepreneurism, which is learning. Learning really wraps around innovation and opportunism because if you don't have learning, then being innovative and, and being opportunistic means nothing. Right. Right? So you've got to tap into 
when you did something innovative, what happened? When you took a risk, when you when you were opportunistic, what, so you need you need to learn from this. Mm. And I, what I tell organizations that I work with is that it's not okay just to go out, learn something, and tell people about it. Until you can put into practice mm -hmm. something that you have learned, that learning is irrelevant. Right. And so organizations need to change their the way they use the word learning. Mm -hmm. Don't learn for the purpose of telling other people what to do. Learn for the purpose that you can implement something different. Right. Well, fantastic. Right. We're going to take a short break now for some messages. But after that, I will continue speaking to Anwar about the nine entrepreneurisms. You're listening to Raise Your Game here on BFM 89.9. Building First World Malaysians. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Raise Your Game. I'm Christine Wong and on the line with me today is Anwar Jumabhoy, a business coach and also author of the book Nine Entrepreneurism. Uh, we've been going through each entrepreneurism and also discussing why they're important. So uh, we covered a few of them before the break. Now we get to a point that is, to me, a little bit interesting, uh, which is realism. So where does mm -hmm. that fit in? So realism is, is very important, right? So... You know, if I tell you, put on this Batman cape and jump out the window and you'll be okay, you'll, <laughs> you'll survive. <laughs> you know, and, and if you buy Batman, Batman capes in toy stores, they come with a little warning saying this cape doesn't allow you to try, to fly, right? Right. Um, so realism is important because a lot in a lot of organizations and in a lot of political systems, you see that the lack of realism means that information doesn't really go up. Mm. And so when people make assessment of their capability, people make assessment of the situation, they're not realistic. And if they're not realistic, then don't equip the managers with the right tools, right? Mm. And so entrepreneurs tend to be realistic because if they're unsure about something, nobody's going to step in and help them. They need to solve the problem themselves. Right. And, you know, in, in, in talking about this VUCA world, I mean, Again, in my book, you know, Colin, we quoted Colin Powell, who was um, head of forces in, uh, in Iran-Iraq war, U.S. Mm. forces. And he says, we spend one third of our time telling our subordinates what the objectives are. Mm -hmm. So that they have two thirds to figure out how to do it. Realistic means you need to step back. You need to respect your managers. You need to, to recognize the people that are going to do things. Give them the space and the time and be realistic about it. There's, some of them are going to make mistakes. You know, we talked about the child learning to learn, to walk, right? Mm -hmm. So when a child is learning to walk, we don't say, oh my gosh, you know, you have no chance of walking. Let's wait till you're one and a half years old. Please don't try now. Right. Someone, like a child falls over and you're immediately just like, there's no case here. It's never going to happen. Please. Yeah, I know. Please don't try to walk now. You're only nine months. Wait. Right. Right, so we need to be realistic. You know, mm. skills are different, uh, people are different, and you need to. You know, today in this organize today's organization, as I said to you about the people that you hire, right? yeah, the same people are available everywhere. You need to be realistic. Mm. You you need to teach to treat people with respect, and you need to be realistic. Give them the freedom. I mean, that's why startups do so well mm. because they don't have this watching over you mentality, which large organizations tend to have, right? Right. 
So they're realistic. I, I've hired you. I made a good choice. I'm going to trust you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of surprising what happens when you treat people like people. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and that's why, you know, I, I think that um, respect is something that's critically important in any organization. Mm. If you respect somebody, you won't cheat them, you won't lie to them, you'll be honest with them. And you you will like working with them, right? Absolutely. And I think it's also, you know, that that trust as well will allow them to to put into practice a lot of the previous entrepreneurisms as well, you know. It will allow yeah. them to innovate and allow them to find opportunities, yeah. you know, and you have to like you said earlier, allow them to also be able to make a few mistakes here and there as well because otherwise they will never learn. Um, Correct. So now we move on to the eighth entrepreneurism, which is persuasiveness. Yes. Number one skill, right? How mm. to sell. <laughs> so persuasion is, a, is, is made up of two parts, right? Mm-hmm. One part is to listen. And the second part is to pitch. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, all companies do that, right? Some companies are just in auto-pitching. They're always pitching, right? Right. So you, you join lunch club or something and, and somebody's always trying to sell you something. Right. Right. So entrepreneurs, the good entrepreneurs learn to listen first. What's the problem? Mm. And many entrepreneurs will walk away rather than making a pitch because they realize it's not going to work. Right. So the art of persuasion is really about understanding the people understanding the market. You know, when 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 I was recruiting at Tune Hotel, we would we're a budget hotel, right? But we are hiring out of four star and and, and five star hotels. Mm. Why should these guys join us? Right? They're on a four star, five star. Why should they come to a budget hotel, roll up their sleeves and work for us? Mm-hmm. And it's because we offer them two or three things. One is our values match. Right. They like what we're doing. The second thing is we give them the opportunity to run the whole hotel. Mm. Something they would have to wait for for years, right? Mm-hmm. So when I'm trying to hire somebody like that, I, I need to be persuasive. But I can't tell him, please work for me, please work for me, right? I need, yeah. to be, I need to be able to line up, okay, this is where you're going to go in your current career. Mm-hmm. If you join me, this is where you'll go in your career, and you'll be able to hop back and be two steps ahead of the other guys that you joined your 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 four star hotel with. Right. And many of our managers, I mean, in, in Melbourne, Edinburgh, have gone back to you know luxury chains mm-hmm. at senior positions. You see potential. You don't have to wait for the five year history. You look at potential. You judge your whether they have the capability. There's a value match, and then you give them a chance. Mm-hmm. And that's Very how organizations well <laughs> should work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, and I like that it's it's a two-way street, right? It's never just one party, you know, doing all the work. You kind of have to have that conversation and communication on both sides. And the two-way is important, Christina. I'll tell you why. Because mm. I always tell people that the job interview is a opportunity where both sides lie to each other. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the, the candidate lies about his capability. The company lies about what it can offer the candidate. Mm-hmm. And so you start off with this mismatch. And that is a problem that, that some companies can't resolve, right? So right. it is something that large companies, and, and, I, and I tell large companies, you know, let hiring managers do the hiring. Mm. And in the companies that I've worked for, hiring managers do the hiring. It's not HR. HR just vets that this person is okay. Right. 
Because you want the hiring manager to be responsible for the person. Mm. You don't want somebody to come, you know, to be sent to you and then and then you end up having to worry about whether they're the right fit and persuasion is important and that 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 meeting of uh, of of why you're doing something, right? Mm. Yeah, the best person to judge is the person that will eventually work with the new candidate, right? Yeah, and you know, very often I when when I have a very simple rule when I'm when I'm interviewing, I interview the person, and then I leave the room and I let them spend some time with their peers. Mm. Then I come back and I tell them, if I think they're a fit, I tell them go away, think about it, and let me know tomorrow if this is a job you're interested in. Mm-hmm. If I don't think they're a fit, I tell them there and then I don't think you're a fit. Fair enough. Right. So finally, uh, you have the last entrepreneurism uh, in the nine, which is execution. Yep. So execution is everything. And, you know, execution is something that people underrate. Mm. So they, and, and sometimes I work with executives and the people that I coach and they tell me that, oh, we made this decision, but it didn't work out. Right. Because there was something with the execution that went wrong. Mm. And, I, and I asked them, I said, so when you made the decision, did you think about whether it would be executable or not? Mm-hmm. And if you did not think about that, then it was a poor decision. Right. Right? So, you know, I mean, like you can take the, take the example of, um, let's take the vaccine example. So you make a decision that you want to vaccinate 10 million people. Mm-hmm. Good decision. Mm-hmm. Can you make it happen? Mm. Do you have the centers? Do you have the do you have availability of the vaccines? Mm-hmm. Do you have the syringes? Mm-hmm. Right. So so entrepreneurs because the 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 gap between what they want to do and the outcome is very close. Typically, it's the same person, right? Right. So they 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 tend to be very good at execution because they know if it goes wrong, they can't blame anybody. Right. In large companies, they just hide behind somebody. <laughs> so you have a manager who manages another manager, and then you have a head office, and then you have somebody collecting reports. Mm-hmm. And, and so the whole execution thing becomes muddled, and you can't put your nail on the, on the, on the hammer right. and, and say how it worked out. One of the companies that I, I, I spoke with recently, you know, they were having a problem with profitability, generating profits from the projects. Mm. And because the projects were costed and then they were executed with different project managers. Oh. And, and, uh, and so they just changed their whole structure. They made each project manager a profit center. Mm-hmm. This is the project. Let's agree the cost. If you run it well and you make a profit, you get a bonus. Mm. So you then become in control, right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that clarity is something that large companies can achieve. They're just afraid of doing it. Right. Absolutely. Well, unfortunately, we have run out of time for today's chat, uh, but it was really lovely to be able to speak to you about uh, the nine entrepreneurisms. So where can people find uh, the book and also find you if they'd like to do that? The easiest space to reach me is on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. You know, I, um, I don't have a website. And so I really operate out of LinkedIn. That's look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, and I'd love to chat. I mean, you know, you can you can ping me and, you know, we can book a half an hour chat on what you're trying to achieve. So I'd love, love to hear from people. Fantastic. And where can people find the book as well if they'd like to read more? So if somebody pings me on LinkedIn, uh, I think I can arrange to, um, to send them a copy. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Anwar, for speaking to me today. 
Most welcome. Thanks for having me, Christine. You've been listening to Raise Your Game. I'm Christine Wong. And if you've missed any of my conversation with Anwar Jumapoy about the nine entrepreneurism, you can download our app. It's available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also head over to our website, bfm.my, to listen back to the podcast. This is BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.